so Francis, um, I just wanted to say thank you very much, first of all, for getting out of bed really early this morning and travelling up from the New Forest um, to be part of this conversation this morning. Very nice to be invited here, actually. And the, the reason for this conversation um, makes many of us, um, well, both a kind of combination of sad and celebration, because um, we're really here to acknowledge the fact that you've decided to step back from the world of mediation after 20 wonderful years. Um, and I know because you've given me access to um, clients um, who you've been working with, some of them for almost that long, who have um, told me about the very deep respect and admiration that they have for you and your work as a mediator and what a fabulous contribution, very deep contribution you've made to this field, um, across the field but particularly the people I've spoken to in the world of employment mediation. I have very mixed feelings about this whole occasion too. <laughs> I mean people have talked about you, it's quite interesting, there's lots of um, interesting things that people say about you in terms of um, that you manage this process and they, they say some of them have said you know there's many things about your legacy um, but one is that the way that um, you have enabled them to trust the process and that's where it'd be interesting to start really Francis um, how this happens what this what the process the mediation process means to you and how you create that trust in this process I, I think there's only one way to create it and that is through trusting it myself and conveying that trust to the parties. I'm, I'm quite clear that, that we're there for a function, here is the process, we're going to use it for the day, and the likely outcome is going to be that they're going to find a way forward, whatever that way forward is. And how, how, tell me a little bit more, <laughs> tell us a little bit more, um, because for many, some listeners, they won't, maybe have never engaged in the process, and for many of the individuals and institutions some of them are coming in for the first time mm -hmm. to a mediation. Can you explain a little bit more about the I've process always, and how it works? I've always been prepared to talk to anybody on the phone or to meet them prior to a mediation without any commitment about the process because, mm. of course, people are going to be nervous. They know how to behave at a dinner party. They know how to behave at, at, at a school function. They know how to behave in the, in the normal run of mill things. And they, and, and they know how to behave in litigation, perhaps. But well, they don't know how to behave in a mediation if yeah. you haven't attended one. And that would apply to um, a, a solicitor, it would apply to a barrister um, if it was their first one. Um, and I have fond memories of a QC and his first one where he simply came in fighting. And all he had to do was establish at the beginning of the day the pecking order who was at the top, who was at the bottom. He was <laughs> at the top, I was clearly at the bottom. And, and that was because he was frightened. Yes. He didn't know how to behave. Yeah. And it was only through experiencing that first mediation that he was able to understand the process and learn to trust it himself and now has been using it ever since. And can you remember, can you um, tell us, um, how did you recognise that? Uh, how did you deal with that? I accepted it and I got him a cup of tea. <laughs> with a biscuit? Of course, of course. <laughs> and, and respect it gave him the outward respect that he needed as a, as a QC. Um, and but also at the same time treated him as Fred because I'm not part of the legal system and therefore I'm not part of that hierarchy and everybody to me is just who they are in the mediation. Yes, that's really interesting because a number of the people that I've spoken to um, have talked about your um, great sensitivity and intelligence um, and the impact 
and they said, but one of the things they think that's been quite powerful is that you've not been concerned about the law. How would you interpret that? How would I interpret it? Um, when I started in mediation, I thought it was going to be a huge disadvantage not being a lawyer because mm. everybody around me training were, were lawyers. And um, actually, it's been a huge advantage because although I've picked up a great deal of law um, over the years, um, it's not something I get hooked into. Um, I recognise its importance to the parties there um, and always put it up on the wall, in a sense, as the backdrop against which we are mediating. And so if there are issues about the law that need discussion, they, they can be discussed, but they're discussed between the lawyers. Um, I'm in a position to ask the idiot questions, even if I know what the answers are, I can ask the idiot questions, whether it's in private meetings of the lawyer in front of a client who I think needs to get a message, um, and very often um, lawyers will use me as an ally in that, and we can have a, a backwards and forwards between ourselves while the client listens, um, and equally I can ask questions of the lawyers when they're together, um, I can ask the idiot questions without being embarrassed. Yeah. And actually, do you think from their point of view, that it makes them um, it feel it feels less threatening. I think possibly so from both sides, and they know that if if they could sort it on the legal issues, then they would have sorted it already. Yes. But actually, it's not possible to sort it on the legal issues. But there's still a backdrop yes. because there are the risks for both sides of varying degrees. In terms of getting ready for mediation, because um, people again, many many people have commented about um, your wonderful energy um, and one individual I think um, commented working with you, it was like working with a marathon runner. <laughs> I don't know how that Long feels. Do you, do you run marathon? No. no, but I'm a plodder and I can keep going. You're being modest I, I think. No, I, I can't run but I can walk and I could walk all day. Walk all day. And, and, and all walk, night? And I can walk all day and all night with parties if that's what they need. I can see that. I have a vision of you walking. Um, but you are, you're walking alongside the parties through the day, through the process, aren't you? That's but wonderful, yes, walking with the parties, yeah. that's interesting. And maybe, did you ever have, can you think of an occasion when you literally were walking? Oh, I've... Walking I with have, the parties? I have most this is not just a metaphor, this is... This is not, not just a metaphor, no. Um, I've certainly walked with parties. Um, yeah. And sat with parties in darkened rooms and held hands and laying on the floor with parties... Um, with back injuries and you simply deal with whatever you have to deal with in a mediation in order to work with the people you're working with on that day. And how have the lawyers reacted to that? Have you, particularly in the employment context, mm -hmm. have you found I mean, have you found the lawyers willing to let you spend time, particularly with the employee side of, of employment mediation, have you kind of taken them away from the lawyers, spent time with them without their lawyers? Occasionally. Um, I've never had any trouble in having different combinations of meetings during the day. Occasionally there's a little whisper about something to begin with, but actually people get in the, in the swing of things. There's an ebb and flow between the two parties. You might have lawyer-lawyer meetings, you might have client-client meetings, you might realise there's a good dynamic between this person and that person, totally unexpected, but that's the way it works. Mm. And those are the people who are going to crack this particular matter. And, and, and so we come back to the um, analogy... Um, you say not a runner but walking all day and, and so preparing yourself um, because others have talked about the context of you know you almost, it's almost like being a Zen master 
how how do you prepare yourself to come for this event where you're going to give so much of yourself? I use Google. <laughs> I use Google for the people because that's I want to know a bit about the people. That's interesting. And I use Google for um, terminology that I don't understand because mm -hmm. often you're mediating in a different field than you've ever mediated in before. And for me, in order to have credibility, I need to understand um, the, the field that I'm working in. Um, I read, I skim read the files when I'm sent them. I put in markers where I want to go back and read more thoroughly. I then go back and read more thoroughly and then I shunt it all away and I don't want to know about it. Um, and then on the day yeah. I have an hour in the train mm -hmm. where I will reread key, key things and make the odd note about how I want to perhaps approach the day and then I put it away and do a Sudoku or something like that to finish off the journey. I take a taxi rather than fight the underground. I get there an hour before mediation is due to start and I then have quiet time. I want to know the geography of the building I'm in, I want to know where the parties are going to be, I want to be ready to receive them when they come, I want to have the room arranged in a way that I'm comfortable with, I don't want excess chairs at the table for example, remove those, I want to make sure I've got everything I need and just be quiet and empty my head until the parties start coming. This obviously works, Francis, because um, I, over and over again, people have told me that um, one of your great qualities that you bring as a mediator into the whole process is that there's a great sense of calmness. One of the lawyers told me, when you're always there, quietly waiting. Um, and this um, obviously has a, a fantastic effect on how the day starts. You start calm. I don't, I don't want to be flustered, I don't want to be thrown by things, and I want to be totally devoted to the job I'm there to do, yeah. and that's to work with those parties on that day. Another thing that people have commented on, which is, quite, is really very interesting to me, is the, um, the kind of quiet but natural authority and your control over the process. Does that surprise you? Does, how, how do you react to that? Um. I, th I think that stems from my, my trust in the process and my role in providing a space for those parties to work comfortably and constructively to find a solution. If you had to think about, um, there's so many qualities here, but for you, what do you think is the most, has been the most important quality that really plays to your effectiveness in helping people move forward? It's a big and slightly old-fashioned word of, of compassion, I think. Um, uh, I've required, at times in my life, a great deal of compassion for myself, which has often been wanting, but eventually have got there. And um, I think compassion with, with to be present. I think to be present, maybe, actually. To be present? Yes completely present for those parties. That's quite interesting and the, and the word compassion is very interesting too. Mm. Does that play to empathy? It contributes to it. It contributes. Yes. yes. But I think being present is possibly hugely mm. fundamental really. To link to another thing that um, a number of the people who have worked with you and, and worked with you on many occasions. Mm -hmm. That was the other interesting thing for me was that um, there were so many people who have worked with you 
both in the employer-employee side and many other on a, a regular basis. One of them actually said one of the joys of working with you was that the simplicity with which they could suggest you as the mediator and the other side. That's been very nice. Yes. Would just say yes. And and it's been very nice <laughs> that it's been um, both claimant and respondent um, yeah. lawyers who have wanted to re-employ me. Another point that came up time and time again in my conversations with people was the ability you have, the wonderful ability to really engage and when we're exploring that, and I think as you would say, peeling the layers of the onion, trying to explore what that involved, I think that for many of them, um, they felt for the clients and for them as lawyers, they really felt that you actively listened to them. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? How 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 could people learn from you? Um, what could they do to improve their ability to in that uh, with that skill? Is it something you can learn? The, the parties will give you everything you need to help them to a settlement um, if you listen for it, and it's the listening between the lines, if you like, that's often so important. That's interesting. So they're listening between the lines, and I think that's something that happens when you are totally present and co can't happen if you're not because if you're totally present with them and you've emptied your head then you're really really listening yes. and you're listening with your eyes and, and your other senses as well as your ears have you ever felt that when you're in um, these in this mediation process and you aren't present and actively listening to them that sometimes the people you're working with that this might be quite a unique experience for them that they have maybe have not had that um, haven't experienced that compassion or that active listening for some time I think it's yes I, I think it's often a really valuable opportunity for them um, something that they find they can work with and, and maybe maybe I don't know whether they're surprised or not but um, <laughs> But you find they, but they, they, they build this trust and engagement with you. Yes, yes, yes. And there's nearly always something, if you listen, there's nearly always something in every single person in the room with whom you can build a bridge, you can have rapport over some matter, whether it's about children or glasses or, or where they've lived or um, a job they've done or something. There's always something that you can find that you can build a bridge with and work with them. One other theme I just wanted to ask you about, and we talked about, was the, um, and maybe it'll help people to understand this, the difference between um, sympathy and empathy. I, I think I can empathise with the individuals who are in a room um, that I'm working with. If I get over the edge into sympathy, then I won't be any use to them. I've come across it once or twice with um, lawyers in the past where they've built a relationship with their clients which has been unhealthy mm. and it's been one of sympathy and it's been one where the the lawyer has taken on board not just listened to and understood the emotions of their client but they've actually become a host if you like That's to, those, to those emotions yes. and then they are no good they're no, they're no use and I think the same applies to a mediator that's really interesting because that then leads me to another um, thought is in terms of working with the lawyers, I think for the lawyers who are listening to this, um, how can they m be most effective to help their clients um, in mediation? 
by being empathetic to them, not sympathetic. Uh, and it's a very, very clear distinction. For, mm. for me, it is anyway. Uh, and then in terms of the lawyers in mediation, maybe you could comment, think of any examples of where um, a lawyer has done something that's very effective and really helps their client, and maybe something that's less effective. You can think of some, in general, some moments when lawyers have recognised um, the time when they need to back off, if you like, and allow the, the clients um, an opportunity to talk to their partner in private, um, perhaps to talk to me in private, um, where they recognise that moment. Uh, I think that's that's been a positive thing. What was the other part of the question? Well, you might have seen the lawyers. I think I've fallen into the trap of asking a multiple question for answers. Yes. <laughs> but um, forgive me for that. But yes, I think the second part of my question was where um, maybe lawyers have done something less helpful because sometimes we learn from our mistakes. Less helpful perhaps. It, um, it would be an occasion, and I've had them more than once, when a lawyer has, because of their own agenda with their own client, has behaved in a negative way towards the lawyer on the other side, oh, interesting. which is destructive of their relationship with their client and therefore is destructive of the relationship between the two lawyers and the two parties. And actually, if the lawyers can deal with what they have to deal with in terms of their clients, but to do so with compassion for the legal team on the other side, whose position they must recognise, um, then that will take them further forward than the tearing apart in public. Have you seen some um, lawyers change their behaviours over time in terms of, because there are a lot of lawyers in the field of employment who do this a lot, oh, yes. so have you watched them really change their practice to good effect? Yes, because I think um, what they do is, is, like all of us, come into a process for the first time and you don't know what you're doing, you're, you're feeling your way through it and uh, you don't know how to use it. And then as it unfolds, that gives you some information which you will then take into your second mediation and you will begin to respond to the process in a different and more constructive way. And it's a pleasure working with people where, where you've got two parties perhaps who are represented by people who really understand the process yeah. because they will work with you as a mediator, they will work with the process, they will work with their clients in unison if you like and they will be much more able to build a team within their room rather than a disparate group perhaps of people who've come together through the litigation. Yes, it's interesting because what you're really um, touching on there Francis is the um, when that's really working well you're describing lawyers who've come to understand that they can be tough on the problem mm. but actually be much um, more understanding mm. and empathetic with the individuals mm. so in, in terms of building the teams in their rooms but also building bridges yep, with, with the professionals side. on the yes. other side yes. and so your advice would be that this can really work for yes. their clients yes and, and during the day, even even during one day, um, the relationship can can change noticeably. Where um, I mean, you must know this yourself. Where you start off with parties in two separate private rooms, yeah. and by the end of the evening, um, the walls have melted somewhat, and um, yeah. you have people coming and going, knocking on doors. Yeah. Can I borrow you? Can yeah. so and so pop in and see you about this? There's there's much more trust and freedom between the parties. 
but I think a number of these people who've worked across the table from each other over the number of years will be coming to celebrate um, your retirement in a couple of weeks. So obviously you have a lot of friendships have been probably forged um, through working with you, Francis. I, I've, I've built some... I, I think it's humbling, actually, how parties of, of all sorts in all walks of life allow you as a mediator to go work with them in times of sometimes extreme stress and very difficult situations and will be open with you and share things with you during the day when you've never met them before perhaps I mean sometimes you've met the lawyer before sometimes you've met somebody before but on the whole you're working with new people every time and they let you in and they let you work with them and then they let you walk away it's again about this deep trust mm. and the fact you have creative mm. empathy with them. Um, maybe they, what you're describing also, is a, it's almost like a safe harbour. And um, there's a nice saying which I quoted you over breakfast, which was about engrave yourself somewhere as well as you can, and then, then again generously erase yourself. And for me as a mediator, I want to engrave myself as well as I can with the parties, with their problem, with their issues within that process and then to be able at the end of the day to have the parties finalise things, draw things up, sorted and I'm away. Yes, yes. So that also speaks to, um, talked about authority and control earlier, but that also speaks to another quality of humility. And I think we talked about over breakfast, recognising that it's not about the mediator, mm -hmm. it's about... Mm -hmm the individuals mm. around the table and particularly the clients. Mm. So I know you feel very strongly about There's it. this bizarre thing about mediation training where it appears that the most important person at, at the mediation is the mediator, whereas the real <laughs> life of course is that is the parties who are the most important people there and their issues that they bring. Yes, yes. So when people um, don't remember six months later who that mediator was, that's, that's that's actually perfect, that's, that's, that's as it should if, be. If they look back and, and remember when they settled uh, this and dealt with it, that's fine. Yeah. That quotation is making me now want to ask you the, another question that um, came up a lot in talking to people about you who've had the pleasure of working with you, and this is about the element of um, creativity, that you had a, um, a way of being more creative, of looking at the future away from financial packages, I think, that one, one, one of the uh, lawyers said to me. Can you talk well, about that? I, what do you think they meant? My original training was as a potter and sculptor, and um, uh, art and creativity has always been important to me, whether it's creating a garden or whether it's creating um, a relationship or whether it's creating something in words. Um, creativity has always been important, and um, I've used it in mediation, I hope, effectively. Um, I think often uh, if you can get people um, creative problem solving out of the zaniest ideas often a solution will come and if it's um, handled in the right way then um, lots of doors can be opened that apparently weren't even there at the beginning of the day. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't happen but uh, it is possible. So, so I remember when I first met you actually it was quite interesting. I remember when you were on the skills training and what I remember was at that time um, you weren't wearing any shoes. Mm. I don't wear them when I don't have to. That's wonderful. And I also remember um, you drawing on a flip chart an onion. Right. 
and I remember the metaphor, but maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about, I mean, I mean, it's quite serious, the, the use of the flip chart and the use of drawings. I We're think, talking I about think, creativity. I think, I think that's a, a, a very powerful thing to use, um, whether it's just about figures, whether it's a picture. Um, I remember one years ago um, with a, a, an ex-patient of, a, of a, um, an analyst who had been persecuted by um, his patient for something like three years. And um, having listened and, and worked with him, I discovered that the young man used to draw cartoons, figures and so on. And I did a cartoon figure on figures on the board. And his understanding of it was that um, he had been standing up, the psychologist had been standing up, the psychologist then apparently knocked him down and he couldn't get up and he had spent the next three years trying to knock the psychologist down to join him. How interesting. And actually how what we need to focus on was how we stood him up instead. So these little stick men on the board huh. um, then turned the whole focus of the mediation around to looking at how he could be stood up again as opposed to how he could knock the other guy down. Yes, that's really very interesting. And it was just stick figures. Yes. But actually but but drawing that picture mm. and kind of putting the conflict there in that way mm. really created a, a mechanism and, and, and for even, understanding the conflict. And even after d during or shortly after a joint meeting I might have on the board a, a, a circle um, which to me represents a settlement and then have inside it all the things that need resolving or would be part of that settlement. And it's amazing how that image of a settlement can make it seem possible to get a settlement, even to parties who thought it wasn't when they came in through the door. Because that's manageable. <laughs> Whereas all this stuff and these files of information and these things going around inside their heads, they can't get hold of it. It's the soap in the bath sort of stuff. You can't can't hang on to it. I love that. The soap Which, in the bath. <laughs> right. but, but once you've got it on a a mm. sheet of paper, mm. surrounded by a circle, it's containable. Mm. It's manageable. That's lovely. Yes, I can. I can. And, and that obviously has really worked. Somebody else um, told me that um, one of the things they remembered was that um, how you would draw. Um, put issues as if they were almost like clouds on the flip chart, but definitely avoid no straight line analysis. No priorities. No priorities. No, no numbers, no priorities. Just throw things up. Mm. Yeah. And, and the reason for that, for those who maybe haven't thought about this? Because that makes me, shows me to be totally impartial. There's no precedent, one thing isn't more important than another. Mm. And then it's possible to, with the parties, to gather things together. There might be a number of issues that, for example, deal with the past and a number of issues that are looking at the future. There might be um, a, a, a number of things that point to the need for a client-client meeting at some point. There might be a number of issues which sit naturally with lawyer-lawyer. And have you managed to persuade Francis um, or ever seen the lawyers of a client's when you've have, have you ever tasked them and, and left them trying to work with the flip chart? Yes, yes, and and indeed sometimes have they, they reacted to that? Um, sometimes they will volunteer it. Sometimes I've asked them to do it, and they've often worked constructively with it. Yeah. Mm. I think that's something that lawyers 
it's not something they've necessarily seen in no. their training. No. But you've managed to find that, maybe tap into some of their creativity? And, and suggest to them that while I'm gone, they might have a go and try to get the flip charts in all rooms, but it's not always possible. To what extent are you thinking about that? How much is that your goal when you start the day? Maybe just talk a little bit about that and what happens if, if, if matters don't resolve. When I, when I start the day, um, I always flag that we will be looking at, by the end of the first joint meeting to have established a rough starter agenda of what needs to be tackled in order to get to a resolution because that's the purpose of the day. And I think to start, because you could spend all day wandering amongst the files and the papers and the emails and and, and actually you wouldn't get there. Yeah. So to focus on those issues. But actually I then don't want to look at the end at all um, during the day and I just keep plodding, walking along with them through the process. And it, most of the time they get there on the day, sometimes they don't get there on the day, but actually... I don't think I've ever had somebody say that was a total waste of time. They have always made some progress and felt that the day was useful. And most of them will then settle either shortly afterwards or sometimes a long time afterwards. It, sometimes that kick-starting then has to go through a process. I've got one open at the moment where authority is being sought, which may not come back for three months. Mm. Um, but th th it's the mediation process which has enabled them to get to where they are at the moment and hopefully will enable them to conclude at the end of the day. But it's not important to me personally to be able to rush back to Cedar and say, oh, I've got a settlement today. That's, that's, that's not the point. The point is for the parties to get to it in their own time and their own place and with something that works for them and that they can live with. Yes, very important in, in every conflict. Yeah. But I imagine um, potentially greater sensitivity in the field that we've been talking about principally in employment where often it's about relationships ending. Mm -hmm. Not always. Um, but not always. Not always. No. I think there are a few examples where there have been surprises. Oh yes indeed, and parties have remained together and found yeah. a future together and that's, yeah. that's worked out in that way. So that sounds to me as if what's important to you is um, not dictating what an ending will look like but from the point of view of the mediation day, that there should be at least, I think, a term that term you like is good ending. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And and people want to feel, I think, on, probably on both parties, that they've really pushed the options, mm -hmm. they've explored the options, and are making an informed choice at the end of the day, because mm -hmm. that's what they need to be able to do. And I th and sometimes if you felt that for the clients particularly individuals, that um, maybe they're not able to do that in, in a day and they need to go away. Yes, it's not necessarily about information, it's about adjusting to that information and being able to respond. Because if it is about losing a, a role that they've had um, for a number of years that they've been passionate about, they may feel, for example, that they really don't know who they are anymore if they've lost that. And so that may may require some adjustment time before they can finally sign off and leave them behind. So, France, I know this conversation, we've got to draw it to a close quite shortly. So if I could just ask you, is there any particular um, 
memory you have of the last 20 years, any particular thing that's had a real impact on you or surprised you as a mediator? I think in terms of CEDA, um, I have had a remarkable sense of belonging, um, which I shall take with me and retain <laughs> beyond um, the ending of, of working as a mediator. Um, in terms of mediation, uh, I think it's about a remarkable level of acceptance by so many people that I've worked with that has given me great joy. Well, I think, Francis, from all the conversations I've had the privilege to have, and is that um, you have really had um, a wonderful impact um, on others, and, and I came to wonder as I talk to people um, whether, even if you didn't know it, that you have actually influenced um, and changed in a rather interesting way um, the way that people have come to see the process and, and the way they, they actually behave in the process. So I think your influence, um, your very modest person, um, has been very um, has been very deep and profound. And I would like to um, finish our conversation with, um, I think I said to one of your clients and friends that really, um, there no, you know, people cannot. Um, the boots that you have are, are too big to fill. Nobody can do that. Um, and, and the reply I got, which I thought was rather wonderful, was that, um, well, you can't fill the boots of someone who walks with bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. Every single person is unique, but also totally replaceable. And I have no illusions about that. There will be many more, more mediators walking paths with parties mm. um, and finding their own way to do that. Well, thank you, Francis. Um, you will be very much missed, but um, we will um, take all you have taught us and um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you, Eileen.